Hello world from Octopost headquarters. This is Radically Transparent, Octopost's original podcast show on B2B marketing now. I'm your host today, Jennifer Gutman, Director of Social Strategy, and in most episodes of this podcast, we'll feature B2B marketing leaders who will share their radically transparent truths behind being a modern-day marketer or sales professional and what it takes to grow ideas, take risks, and impact change. Joining me on this episode of Radically Transparent is Derek Grant, SVP of Marketing Strategy of SalesLoft. Derek, welcome to the show. It's so exciting to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great to see another face during quarantine. I am uh, calling in from the sales loft offices for everyone out in your audience. Remember those. Uh, you know, and I was sharing that uh, I've done a great job of keeping up with our plants. Uh, that is definitely seeing better days. So for those of you listening and not watching, he's just held up about, I don't even know, some, uh, uh, de- is it dead? A dead plant. The plant has not seen anyone in nine months, and it's just, <laughs> it, it just it's weeping based on that. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we, we promised not to make uh, this episode look like that plant. Um, we've got a lot of fun in store today. Um, and with that, so what I have to say, Derek, and, and what I love about you on this show is that when I put your name, Derek Grant, into Google. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I get some of the absolute best tips, video presentations, um, interesting facts about driving sales. And I speak for myself as someone who came from the sales world. I have 10 years sales experience before switching over to the dark side of marketing. I couldn't be <laughs> right. I couldn't be more appreciative of leaders like you who literally are radically transparent in what you do so much so that you put it out online for everyone to learn from, to share what you're doing and how you do it. So I thought you'd be perfect for this show. Um, and, and speaking of radically transparent, are you ready? <laughs> are you ready to get radical with me? I, I do want to get radical after one thing when you said you'd Googled me. So there's also a Derek Grant that is a drummer in a satanic band called Alkaline Trio. And I thought you were going to say, oh, you're really good with drumsticks. Gonna, the- that's the wrong one. Uh, so I'm glad you found the appropriate content online. Hallelujah. That was a close one. So challenge number one of this show, if you're listening, go ahead and Google Derek Grant and let us know what hit you get first. The drummer or... The, the B2B professional from SalesLoft. Um, so with that said, speaking of SalesLoft, um, we'll start off with an easy one. Could you give us a brief look into your professional journey and how you found yourself in such a role, SVP of market strategy at SalesLoft? Yeah, uh, great, uh, great question. So I am an accidental salesperson. I guess I would start there. Uh, I I don't I didn't know any salespeople. My family had a, a state worker and a teacher in it, uh, and so sales was a four letter word in our family. It was not, not for any other reason. We just didn't know anybody, you know. And uh, with the salespeople we interacted with were car salespeople and things like that. And so it wasn't it wasn't a trade that our family knew anything about. And so I, I was working a tech support job, an overnight tech support job uh, for a technology company in the town that I grew up in. And I had done some project management and I had done some, some technical training. And the head of sales uh, stuck his head out of the office and said, hey, do you want to do sales? And that literally is a moment where life truly changed. 
uh, for me, as I think about it now, it's, it's hard to even fathom what life would have been had I had I said no to that. I was in grad school at the time. I, I walked away from grad school to take a job uh, traveling to a remote territory in uh, in the Midwest of the U.S. And things sort of have, have taken my life has a different arc because of the fact that serendipity of sales and the way that I got from that company to here is sort of a funny story. So um Whenever and remember traveling, as we think about remember offices, remember traveling. So in the old days, I would have to travel out from Florida to the really exotic places like uh, Iowa and uh, <laughs> South Dakota. I mean, like just the places you want to go, because of course that's where the first salesperson gets there. They're not getting Hawaii, you know. I I was sent to North Dakota in my early days. Your thoughts, besides cold. That's pretty much it. That's the entire, for all of your North Dakota, we have literally lost both of your North Dakota listeners right now. Uh, and I'm sorry. We are both sorry for that. Uh, but I was uh, I was traveling, and at the time, what was now the Delta Sky Club was called the Crown Room. This sort of dates it. And I was confirming appointments, and I was leaving my number, and a person who I had didn't, who never made eye contact with me wrote down my contact info over eavesdropped and said, I want you to come work for us. I want you to stop what you're doing and come work for us. And it turned out it was a psychiatric hospital. So I'm okay. a chief sales guy. I go from selling technology. I'm a chief sales guy at a psych hospital. A lot of people said I was I was actually a patient there, but I was, <laughs> I, I was truly actually uh, trying to sell the program. Uh, I was horrible at that job, got fired within a year, but I had met in the, in the work of, in the, the work for that job, uh, my wife, now wife, who was in Atlanta, fell in love with a girl, and she convinced me to move to Atlanta, looked for jobs, found Pardot on Craigslist. Uh, you know, I might have been looking wow. for Who knows? <laughs> who knows? 2007. It was the uh, the fourth employee at Pardot. And, and the serendipity sort of continues. Uh, during the Pardot days, we had more space than we needed. And so our CEO, who's now our uh, chairman of the board, actually allowed some of his entrepreneur friends in Atlanta to come in. One of those is my now CEO, Kyle Porter, who I got to know during that. Uh, and so it's just this very unusual, you know, sort of starting from just blind luck, uh, you know, working hard and, and taking a chance, that chance blowing up in my face. And then ultimately, uh, ultimately getting back into tech and, uh, and, and really start up since then. It's been, it's been quite the journey. I love it. I, I think it just proves that when you take a risk, great rewards can come from that. And, and I'm very lucky it did because you're, you've been, I mean, just chatting with you and seeing all the incredible sales work you're doing. I, I mean, you found your calling, but with that, um, you know, I'm sure every passionate sales leader may have, uh, something, uh, that keeps them up at night professionally. Maybe, uh, could you share with us? Do you have anything that, uh, keeps you tossing and turning at night? Yeah, that, uh, it's a great one. Uh, I think a lot about my accountant. It's tax season here. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I, his name is Ryan Tucker. He works for a company out of Tallahassee, Florida. And I think about Ryan and what he does daily as a CPA. And Ryan was classically trained in this job. He, he got a uh, four-year degree in accounting. He then went and got a master's degree in accounting. He then sat for the bar, but he's not an accountant for life. He has to take continuing education hours to, to retain his licensure annually so he doesn't get me audited. And then I think about salespeople. We are not classically trained. I think about the fact that sales, there's a variety of different backgrounds, some of which think it's a boom town and they're going to come and make a lot of money. Uh, some other ones who do it because they've seen it modeled and done really well. But there, 
there isn't a professional track for sellers. And I think that's such a big one. I think that's why as, as buyers, oftentimes our variety of salespeople, our experiences on a continuum are staggering. <clears throat> you know, it's um, you deal with the used car salesman, the slick, over-aggressive, all the way through the person who doesn't know what they're talking about. Um, and so I, I, I challenge our salespeople here uh, that that they would go out and they would figure out a way to grow themselves professionally. And I think a lot of it is great podcasts like this. We, we have a great podcast uh, at Sales Loft called Hey Salespeople, run by Jeremy Donovan, recommending uh, books that they should read. I think uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, a great book on negotiation, uh, uh, blog content they should consume, things like the HubSpot sales blog, the Sales Loft blog. These are all great places because we don't have the foundation than an accountant does, or a doctor, or a lawyer. And our industry, quite honestly, changes. I look at 2020, our industry changed a decade in, in just about a year. And so we, as sellers, it is important for us to continue to grow our skill set. And I think that is something that the ones who don't get left behind, the ones who don't give us a bad name, and the ones who do, the ones who, who treat it a lot like your accountant, your doctor, your lawyer, that they need to always be up on the most modern techniques. I think those people are the ones that are going to be here to stay because quite honestly, buyer sentiment is changing. Uh, but you know, you think about the great work from a marketing perspective, buyers go further through the process now than they ever have without engaging a salesperson. Yeah, that's wild. And so it, it is nuts. I mean, you think about it by the time the salesperson gets in, they're literally landing the plane. They have not charted the course. They have not, they've not taken off. They just simply have gotten to grab the yoke and land the plane. Uh, and so when you think about the ones who aren't, the salespeople who aren't growing at a, at a higher pace than their experience allows, the ones who aren't actively seeking knowledge, uh, those people are not going to make it in sales because the, the new seller is going to need to be consultative, an expert, is going to need to be someone who is highly skilled because every deal we're getting it later, we have to cook more quickly mm. and we want to be able to bring it in and into our company's uh, client roster. Absolutely. So so with that, you know, and in, in what keeps you up, do you feel, I mean, what, if you could, I guess, build your ideal sales curriculum. I don't even know if that's the right word, but kind of that foundation, what would you include in that package or that basket or that bundle of, you know, (laughs) question, you know, so I, I love spin selling. I can acknowledge spin selling is something that I I have always enjoyed. First of all, I don't think any sales book is perfect because if someone was the perfect seller, they wouldn't tell me how they were doing it. So I could potentially beat them in a deal. They'd be living (laughs) on a yacht in the South Pacific somewhere right now. Uh, And so uh, so whenever I, I think about it, like spin selling is a, is a great underpinning. Uh, when I think about things, the, the challenger customer, I, you know, challenger sale is really, it, it, it has become more relevant back in the quarantine era because when things are good, really, it's now challenger customer. Uh, when I think about negotiation, which is something that is the highest of the stakes, but something we do the least as sellers, uh, being able to have a model for that, like, like never split the difference. I, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of great content out there. Uh, you know, I will tell you the uh, the Undoing Project uh, by uh, Malcolm Gladwell uh, when he talks about uh, Amos Tversky and, and just thinking about how humans decide on things. They make emotional decisions and they back them with rational facts. Uh, and just understanding those sorts of things, I think that sort of builds a sales curriculum. When we see people come into sales often, they're like, well, I have a sales minor. It's like, 
congratulations, that's 12 hours. We expect you to work 40 hours in the first week. You know, so it, like it, they're not really all that skilled. It's better than nothing. But I do think there's opportunities for almost like a finishing school. And we as sales leaders, it, we owe it to our sellers to finish them, mm-hmm. to really to, to give them the information they need so they can have the life that, that, that I've had in sales and the life that many of the, the people that are, are going to be consuming this content have had in sales, which is, which is success, but that doesn't happen by accident. It is, there's a lot of luck. There's a lot of people who invest. Uh, mentorship is really, really important. And, and I think it's, it's important for all sales leaders to think about how we can take this next generation and bring them along and have the maximum success rate and, and the best possible sellers. So you, you mentioned, you know, I should have tallied how many times in that answer you said the word people, um, sales leaders, people, 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 which leads me to start thinking about something um, that I know Sales Loft does quite well, uh, which is keeping company culture alive, right? So, so kind of building this, you know, training program or the curriculum or getting your sales team kind of drinking the Kool-Aid, if you will. Um, how, how are you guys keeping such a vibrant company culture alive and, you know, taking that even a step further during a year of 2020 and it's, you know, trickling into 2021 that has been the year of all years, you know, the most not normal year we've ever had to keep that alive. What are you guys doing? What's your secret? Uh, so I'll, I'll share, uh, I'll share the secret, I guess, but we, we should start by making the word people. Every time you hear people, it's a drinking game. Now everyone has, oh, has yeah. to take a drink. I feel like, uh, hopefully people are watching this late in the day or, or listening to this late in the day. Um, drink uh, of choice, drink of choice. <laughs> uh, uh, for, for, for me. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm a Tito's and water guy. I like to hydrate and dehydrate simultaneously. I feel like it's much more effective uh, and efficient in that way. So I'm less hungover the next day. Fantastic. What's your poison? So we at Octopost actually have an official happy hour Octopost drink, which is the Moscow Mule. Oh, wow. So, so yeah. when, when happy hours come back and we're all in person, um, we'll have to get together and have some <laughs> Moscow Mules. But, but back to the culture. <laughs> so I'll, I'll look back to the Moscow mules here in just a second. So for us, you know, we've been, we're such a, an in-person culture. There, there's a bunch of people in the office right now. We have some regulations. We got to wear masks whenever we step away from our desk. Uh, we are limiting capacity in the office, but people are, people genuinely like to be around one another. So 2020 was a, as I think about it, a place where our, hugging, handshaking, happy hour type of culture was unable to manifest itself, particularly for new hires who had never been involved in the business. And so we just have had to be really intentional about how we're we're getting engaged with people. And so uh, something that our company has done is uh, I'm wearing a blue Apple Watch. You know, we didn't have travel and, and uh, we didn't have travel and expenditure budget. We didn't, you know, we have lunch in the office every day. We didn't pay for that. And so uh, so there's been some gifting done by the company, things like uh, everyone got an Apple Watch. Oh. And it wasn't it wasn't just a flippant thing. It was tied back to a, a company health initiative. And we would all use the health app to be able to, to drive toward personal self-care wow. in the apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, so there's that we have done. Uh, there's been a lot of virtual happy hours. I think Zoom fatigue is a very real thing. And so I, I think people want to do that less. 
We've done virtual wine tastings. We actually did a virtual cocktail making session, Ooh. which was awesome. Uh, <laughs> it was making a, a blueberry rum drink. I forget exactly what the drink was, but bringing in experts and and uh, uh, virtual game nights, like all these different things that that are that are different than we're all sitting on a screen staring at each other uh, and engaging. Uh, as we think about the new year uh, of 2021, which to your point is a, it's sort of 2020 part two, because yeah. there's not really clear <laughs> the line sequel. of sight. Who's get back. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, the, the, a sequel that should not have been made. You know, this is an unnecessary sequel. Uh, but like this year, we're doing a, an all company retreat, which I think is great. Uh, as a matter of fact, what's happening out in our lobby right now is we are doing uh, another gift drop to our employees that is aligned to our, our company charter for the year. And so a bunch of our marketing people are out there doing that. I'm gonna, uh, when I leave here, I'll go and help them assemble the, the care packages. We're just trying to really be more engaged with our folks. Uh, and, you know, slacks are fun. Uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways to do it. I think different leaders pick different ways. Something that our SDR manager has done, I think, is, uh, is really novel, is humanizing his weekend update. It's expected that we're going to have weekend update in every department that we share kind of what's gone well. And he does it as a video now, which is oh. great. Uh, yeah. Because it's it's him. Because yeah, they they know of him, but they don't see him. He's not walking the halls anymore. Uh, we're also doing more frequent company all hands with uh, ask me anything sessions with our founders. Like I think we're trying to we're trying to lead with visibility. We're trying to uh, we're trying to to model good behavior. And and I uh, you know I I think that we've seen we surprisingly have done better remotely than I would have thought. So, so what's interesting about that, when I hear you explain, I mean, you make me, I want an Apple watch. You make me want to join sales loft. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Don't tell our CEO. Um, But, but I, I'm curious because, you know, you're, you're sharing all these really awesome ideas and things that are taking place. Is this, is this a top down initiative or is this a bottom up or is it like, where are these ideas coming from and where is this culture being created from? Can you walk us through a little bit of that and how, I mean, where can we start with kind of bringing this vibrant culture back to our, our companies? Uh, on, on culture, we have this idea here at sales off that culture is, is modeled top down, but it is a bottoms up exercise. And so we think of, of culture as being the values consistently lived, that they really should form a perimeter for our behavior. And then if we sort of stray outside of that, then it should make us feel a little uncomfortable, like we're, we're not really where we're supposed to be anymore. And so our, our founders are extremely intentional. Uh, we do a what we call sales off star where we, we, uh, we honor people based on the values uh, every week in our all hands. And so I think we, we, we want to make sure that the values stay front and center. A company that I had the opportunity to work with, um, and it was it, as part of part of it, we got acquired by Exact Target, and they had a really strong culture, and they did something, and when they when they did it, it maybe I, I threw up in my mouth a little bit. They would say because their company colors were orange, that's very orange of you, and I was because like, <coughs> <laughs> uh, because like it, it was it was different to me. But for them, that's how they would, would, would recognize someone living the values. And it was very normal for all of them. And so here we, uh, you know, we, we, we praise the values and we see them. Uh, I actually, uh, actually got value shamed by one of our founders recently. Uh, uh, what is value shaming? Please so enlighten me. 
it was the weirdest thing because I was like, I, I went and I said, I see this thing and this is a problem and this is my perception. And and I what I expected to say was, I agree with you. Uh, you know, uh, you know, they need to clean it up over there. Instead, what the founder said was, uh, what well, sounds like you're not filling the gap with trust, which is not very glass half full of you, which is the way it was one of our five values. And I, then at that point, you like have the facepalm moment of like, oh, all right. So, yes, I don't know exactly what's happening over there. You're right. I should trust that they are doing the right thing. I should assume positive intent. Uh, and so it was uh, it was super interesting. Values, value shaming that happened. Uh, and I feel like I'm, you know, a, a big part of the culture here. But uh, but yeah, it's a real thing. But they, they are just it's just the modeling of those consistently, even in a situation where I go and I want to I want to find somebody to sort of. Uh, to, to be to be mad with it, you can't find those people. You know, instead, people are telling you that you're not actually uh, uh, living the values. And so, um, you know, it's something for all the folks out there, and, and a really practical step, and something that that I think is not wasted is sitting down and codifying your values. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can tell you that at, at Sales Loft, we initially stole because R and D rip off and duplicate is a good way to start. You don't have to come up with some like some flash of brilliance, positive, self-starting, and supportive. If you have those three things, that's a good place to start. Uh, But then what we realized is that there were people who had those three values, but they weren't necessarily thriving in sales off. So then we went and we did a survey of the company and said, who here embodies the values? And we went and we got a, a punch list of sort of the top 10 and then we went and looked at what they were doing, and we found there were some other things, like they had a focus on the customer, uh, they had a focus on results, and so we then added those to the values. But the values evolve and change over time, went from three to six. Openness was a value, uh, like being transparent. And then we realized uh, we don't put in our values, don't steal office supplies, uh, because like we assume that people are not going to steal office supplies, a weird value, right? We assume people are going to be open, so we got rid of openness. And we, we rolled it back to five and we've been on the five now for a couple of years. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, values are a, an iterative thing. Uh, I, any, anytime a business goes on this, this journey, it's such a game changer. The next side then is that you need to, once you figure out what makes your company special, mm-hmm. uh, go back and you have to then do it daily. Good book on this, uh, Netflix, I know Rules Rules, also the new, uh, the new Netflix book from Reed uh, Hoffman. One of the interesting things they talk about is that instead of defining their values and then hiring to them, they sort of, they did it backwards. They went out and they're like, huh, we don't really have values. Like, what does everyone around here do that's awesome? And then that became their values. <laughs> I like that. And so, you know, there, there's no, there isn't necessarily a right way to do it, but it is the right thing to do and it will it'll make a huge impact for your business. I love it. I love it. Company culture is something I think, I love the, the science or the art, I guess, depending how you look at it behind it is fascinating to me. So I'm going to put the company culture hat to the side for a moment because I do want to talk with you as someone in sales about kind of the shift that has happened from 2020 to 2021 with you know digital first and just all things customer related, just throwing it out there, right? The bar for engagement in the buyer journey today is incredibly higher than it ever was before. It's almost exhausting. And I say that with love. Um, But (laughs) how, I mean, how are you guys and girls and, and the team over at Sales Loft interacting with your buyers in a meaningful way today and how do you keep that momentum staying relevant 
in today's climate that is ever changing. And also, as I said at the start of this question, so, so high. So it's, uh, Remember going to, to dinner with people. I, I think there's probably a moment where should, all the sales and marketing people should just say these words out loud. No one wanted to go to dinner with you to begin with. No one wants to spend three hours on Saturday with you golfing. You know what they'd rather do with three hours? Go golfing with their friends instead of a salesperson trying to hawk them something. So we think about a lot of these in-person interactions that we were having, and we thought of them as, as being part of a deal cycle. Where you're moving the deal forward. Uh, I think that this has given us the opportunity to, to step back and take a look. And we've seen deals continue to get done. We've seen, uh, you know, uh, in, engagements happening in a, in a 2D versus 3D sort of perspective. And, yeah, there's going to be a place for people to be on site. And there will be a time when that comes back. But I think we've learned a lot. And, and what we've learned is is how to better engage customers without asking them to be away from their family without asking them to make a huge commitment of time with a person that is is not necessarily part of their inner circle. And so some things that we've done that have been really cool, a virtual wine tasting. We have a, a we have you have a sommelier. It comes back to the idea of you sh- you drop some drop ship something to your uh, to your uh, prospects, and then you get them all on a on a call. We've done those with our CMO, our CRO, and those have been really powerful. Uh, virtual cooking classes, same sort of things. Something that I would recommend to everyone on this call. Something just to sort of make a point of. Something you can do. You may say like, Derek, we're want, like sommelier. That sounds expensive, and and I, I'm sure it probably is. Uh, don't underestimate the power of strategic gifting right now. This is really, really important. When you go out on LinkedIn and you take a look and see they're involved with the Boys and Girls Club of Southern California, donate in their name. It activates reciprocity, quid pro quo. And it's something that as you're thinking about, you're not sending something that's flipping. It's something that matters to them. It's a cause that matters to them. And you're showing that you know them. Show me you know me. And you're showing them that you know them. So if you're trying to get up level to the executive in an organization, if you're trying to, uh, to make sure that you are, you are continuing to facilitate great relationships with your, with your prospects and your customers, think about what matters to them and think about how you can give to them. And it, and it doesn't have to be a lot. Remember, it's not your appreciation. It's a token of your appreciation. And if you can do that, it's something that we've seen really move deals forward and help, help us grow relationships and accounts. And so just do a little research, know them better, and just simply give to a cause that matters. As I like to call it, research and engage. And that leads me nicely into my next question. It's as if you read my mind. Um, so I am such a fan of what many people today would call just selling, right? But it's coined social selling. Um, and, and what you said, I loved it. Wow. I loved when you said you go to their LinkedIn profile and you see under causes that they're part of the boys and girls club and make a donation on their behalf. You take interest in what interests them and you can do that using social media. And it's so easy. You don't have to pay for it. It's not a service. Literally everyone's on it, volunteering information. And I think that's just, I mean, it's literally what I eat and breathe every day at Octopus and it makes me love my job so much. But with that, and I know you shared some, you know, the, the donation and the, the gifting and, and the wine and the, the cooking classes. Can you share some of your best 
social selling pro tips or things to look for when prospecting on social media that maybe the average bear wouldn't necessarily think of, right? We spoke about in the beginning of the show, putting together that curriculum or kind of the the pro guide to sales if we could include a chapter of social selling in that, right, and get every sales professional on the same page when it comes to using social. So A, what would that look like for you? And B, what are some of the things you look for when you go to somebody's profile? Uh, social selling can easily be done poorly. And, and uh, you know, I have not always been the, the best citizen on social. And so to be fair, I, I can tell you that, that I have done it poorly at times. Uh, but, you know, it's something that's really powerful because they are telling you about themselves. They're giving you a window into their soul. Uh, and so something that I think is really important is showing that you care. And now everyone's got an email. X number of people have looked at your profile. Be one of those people. The profile peak, it sounds, it seems so, like it's like, it almost seems like a throwaway touch. Profile peak. Also hit the three little dots on their profile and follow now you've hit them on another channel. So you're in their profile peak. Now you're following them. What is following them lock? Whenever they say something that is relevant online, now you can coalesce around that. Uh, and, you know, whenever they, they are engaging and when they are posting, you now are, are literally directly in the line of, of sight of that information. It gives you more insight into what they're thinking about, but also a chance to be able to continue to engage them on social you know, the, the research indicates in a lot of cases that when you connect on social, it isn't always on social that the person reaches back out. I think from a seller perspective, a lot like leaving a voicemail. Uh, but it, it's not that you shouldn't leave a voicemail because people don't always call you back. And it's not that you shouldn't engage on social because people don't necessarily buy on LinkedIn. It's the idea of it being a holistic approach to prospect engagement. You want to be in their scope of consciousness. You want to show them that you care and that what they're saying matters to you. And so, yes, social has become sort of the new norm. Yep. Uh, it, and, you know, it is the last unprotected inbox. I think we should should not necessarily undersell this. Um, if you're selling to an executive at a, at a large company, there's a good chance there's someone checking their mail. There's a good chance there's a gatekeeper blocking their phone. Guess where that person doesn't live? They're not logged into their personal LinkedIn profile. They're not in their social media uh, accounts. And the reason they're not in their social media accounts, because that really becomes very personal. Even my LinkedIn profile is still sort of personal to me. And when you, if you think about why that is, my take has always been so many people reach out from a recruiting perspective on LinkedIn that, you know, I wouldn't want some sort of, of person seeing that or knowing that or intermediating that for me. And so I, I do think of it as, as an unprotected, ungated, like unblocked that. inbox that is is really there for the taking uh, and using is really smart. Something um, brand Topo, they're not part of Gartner. They talk about a triple tap and, and it is really important because it's engaging them on social, email and phone within minutes of each other. And the idea, it, and it's super empathetic to the person too. Because they can choose how they respond to you. They can choose the channel because you now have, you have literally have made a, you've cast a wide net with regard to this person. And so, so social is becoming more and more important. I like that. The unprotected inbox. Um, 
I never thought about it that way. And no, I think, there's no and, going yeah. on that way. No <laughs> right? That, that's brilliant. You should, you should uh, want to trademark that or copyright that. that. That's pretty good. And, and anyone listening, I think that's, that's a key to take back to your sales teams and to take back to your day-to-day and just think about social as an unprotected inbox. And it's a goldmine. Um, so, so with that, we have a few questions left. And I know, you know, time is windling down together. I want to ask you about productivity because I think one of the biggest challenges that 2020 has brought that we have seen is we're all working from home or, you know, snippets in the office. Staying productive is really tough. I mean, there's tons of distractions, whether it's your Slack or or your WhatsApp buzzing or your kids banging on the door while you're on a Zoom call or on your Zoom call. Um, so, So what words of wisdom could you share for the marketing and sales leaders listening in when it comes to driving highly effective and productive remote teams? And, and you know, what can we learn from Sales Loft? Because you guys, like I said earlier, you guys really are doing something right. Thank you. Uh, you know, so... I think fundamentals haven't really changed. Uh, the We have not necessarily adopted them to this new normal, but the facts are we may not ever go back to the before. It will only be the after, which is going to be sort of a modified version of the before. Uh, the number one thing that I always coach our leaders on, the number one thing that you can do to get someone fired is to not pay attention not to be checked in, not to be in the, in the foxhole with them. Because what ends up happening is a lot of times, particularly in sales, if we're not paying attention and we're not looking at leading indicators, we find ourselves at a lagging indicator perspective, and then it's immediately on to pip and out of the business. <clears throat> and so being able to be really connected to what they're doing on a daily basis, and I don't think on a micromanaging perspective, I think that's really important, but just something that we have done, uh, something that, that I instituted uh, last year was the was the not phoning it in report, and we just would distribute to sales a stack ranked in reverse order of the people who at 3 p.m., and you know, had made the lowest number of calls. And that's just something their manager can reach out and say like, Hey, you know, there's something going on today. You don't want to leave with like, you're lazy, you're terrible. And these things like, yeah. what was going on today? Cause like, I, I think of you as being better than that. And then it's like, how are we going to get back ahead of this? Because, you know, connect rates are what they are. So we're going to need to figure out a way to sort of get those calls spaced out over the rest of the week. But it's really being tuned in pretty regularly on, on leading indicators. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think the big challenge is, we don't know. And that's been one of the biggest challenges for if there's any marketing response leaders in here, any <clears throat> sales development leaders, these are relatively new, inexperienced for the most part, yes. salespeople. And they are literally sitting at home, potentially streaming Game of Thrones. It's really hard to say. And even if they are- <laughs> a great show, them, yeah. <laughs> which is a great show. Of course <laughs> you're going to stream it. I mean, what do y'all know? It's, it's no Tiger King, but you know what it is. What it is. Um, but- you don't know necessarily what their home life is like. Yeah. You don't know if they're taking calls from their bedroom. You don't know if they've got a roommate that is a loud talker and is making all their meetings uh, challenging. You don't know if uh, if they've got crappy internet. Like, you just don't know a lot of the things. So looking at leading indicators helps you understand mm-hmm. that there is something amiss. And then we think about connection. Now it's let's connect. 
Let's figure out what's happening. Uh, what can we do to help? Because we are here to serve. And I think about it, I, I have two kids at home. Uh, and so I, I think we're all, and, and this maybe is something that globally is true. I think we're maybe all working a little bit less, but we're working more intently yeah. in the time that we are because we are having to wear these different hats. Our day is chopped up. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> are, they on a, are they on a Zoom call? Are they, are they learning in four days what I apparently needed five days to learn back when I was in school? Who knows? Uh, Because that's what they're doing here in Georgia, four days. And I'm like, I'm sure we're not sacrificing anything on that. Uh, But, you you know, it's understanding. It's figuring out how to best support them in that. I think there's a radically candid moment, which is like if you feel like they they can control the controllables and they're just choosing not to. Yeah. Better to better to say like you know this this is concerning this would this is going to become more concerning uh, if we see this behavior continue. What you want to do is you want to give them the you want to give them plenty of time to course correct because if you can be there with them early. And when I think about young sales leaders or excuse me sales leaders of, of young young sellers, yeah, uh, they have the best job best job. They are going to be the voice that that seller hears in their ears for the rest of their career. And so go in and make them do the work. Go in, make them get better every day. Go in and do these things because you are literally determining the, tra- the trajectory of their sales career. Uh, but I, I think it, part of it is first knowing if they're doing the work or not. And then if they are, if they're doing the work, is it effective? And if it's not effective, we can coach around maybe different models. <clears throat> and then if they if they're doing it, they're not effective. Like, you know, if they're not doing it, they're not effective. Then it's like we need to have a hard conversation. But it, it is just simply hold people accountable to do the work. And if we have to do it at night, I think about that's a lot of my life now is, you know, it's like with dealing with the kids, you may not always be able to squeeze everything into the day. Just yeah. you're held accountable to the work. It isn't necessarily the time. It used to be a time and a time thing. It'll show up at this time. you leave at this time. you had a lunch at this time. Uh, and you still went home and worked at night. But it's like now, because it's not, it is less about a time commitment and more about a work commitment. So just hold people accountable to do the work part. I love it. I love it. And, and, you know, really holding people accountable for the outcomes, the successes and, and I, and getting, getting your hands dirty, um, as a leader. And I, I really got chills hearing what you just shared. So, uh, that <laughs> I like that answer. Um, my last question for you, actually, oh, no. I'll call it my, 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 right. I might, <laughs> my last question. It's like a question and a half I'll say, but my, my last question. Um, so I Googled you. That's no shame. I do it to all my guests. Uh, I looked you up on, on social, found out a lot about you, Derek. What's one thing you can share with us that we cannot learn from your LinkedIn profile or if we Google your name? Well, you would find out I'm not the drummer. And oh, no, you're not the drummer. That's the one thing we can definitively say. And occasionally people be like, hey, great show last night. I'm like, wrong guy. I wish I, wish I rocked it last night. I, I do not. I am very... Uh, very not rock. Uh, so a big thing that we think about here at the company is bringing your whole self to work. And, and it is, it's like, you know, and I think we're seeing it now in the quarantine era, maybe more than ever, because the things that you're, the, the, the personal things, they aren't separate from your professional life. They are now bleeding together. Uh, and I have always heard that and I choose not to do it. And here's why. Uh, as a as a sales leader, you expect a certain thing. I think of like every buddy cop movie back in the eighties, the Lieutenant would always walk out and scream at everybody. And it just like, it's this idea of like what the police Lieutenant is. So I execute against an ideal of what people expect a sales leader to be. And that's 
uh, high dominant, high influence, uh, always on, you know, ready to engage over anything. And the truth is, that's just a mask that I wear. I put it on every day when I go to work. Uh, and at the end of the day, I'm, I'm pseudo exhausted from being someone who I'm not. Actually, I'm not being authentic, I'm, I, which is, is un, uh, unusual to say. I'm very quiet. I'm very, uh, very reserved. I'm very, uh, you know, I, my wife and I can sit on the sofa and, and really, you know, say 15 words to each other and know that we're both loved. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think the thing that, that is most sort of surprising to people is that, uh, is that what they see is not necessarily what is truly deeply there. It is a, a facade. It is a, uh, it, it is me doing the role of the job in the profession that chose me. I didn't choose, but it chose me. Uh, and so that, that's one of the things that I think people don't know is that, um, is that the, the persona non grata, my, my public persona is not, uh, is not at all who I am from a personal perspective. And, um, you know, that it is always caused friction. It's caused friction. Um, my CEO and I just agree to disagree on this idea of, of sort of be authentic because I would be very quiet. You don't want the sales leaders like, all right, guys, let's, uh, let's go get them. You want like, let's, we're going to do it. Let's run through that wall. Let's make it happen. And you want that. And you know, if, if like me being me is not the person who would be able to do a lot of the things that are necessary from the job that I do. And so, uh, so my, as soon as I get in the car, it's just like quiet, peace, quiet. finally, uh, on my way home, get home, quiet, you know? And so that it, it is such an odd thing. People don't generally believe it, but, uh, but, but very, uh, uh, very different. I think what people expect and what I, when they actually know me personally, they're, they're pretty separate, uh, pretty separate lives. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that that takes a lot of guts to share something like that on a podcast. Um, and also as a sales leader to kind of out your, your character, if you will. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And, and I really appreciate that insight. I think many of us can relate that, you know, you come to work, you put your work hat on and whatever role it is you need to play, you play, and you may not be that person at home, which is complicated now because <laughs> we're working from home. <laughs> but I uh, think... <laughs> Exactly. Um, so last, as I said, the half question, or, and then I'm out of the Tel Aviv headquarters, we call it half is a chetzi in Hebrew, so the chetzi question. But uh, if anybody, <laughs> the chetzi question, if anybody listening would like to be in touch with you to learn more about sales loft or, you know, bounce some sales talk off you or whatever it may be, what's the best place to reach you or learn about sales loft and the value you bring to customers? Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's great. You know, uh, my mom used to say parenting is the one job that by the time you're qualified, no one needs your services. <laughs> and so I, I think a lot about that, about giving back to, to the sales career. Cause I, I am somehow, I know things, uh, as, as scales happen. So if, if I can be of service to anyone out there, I'd love to, uh, so, uh, email is probably number one, a Derek, D R E K dot grant G R A N T at sales com. Also LinkedIn. I, I generally will take you to the inbox though. The unprotected uh, inbox. The, yeah. I, you, 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 you but, uh, but no, I, I, uh, I would love to do that. And so if, if there's any, uh, any service that we can provide us to sellers, strategy, good ideas, bad ideas. I've, I've uh, what do I have to tell you all the things not to do? 
My, if I'm a superhero, my my superpower is hindsight. I can always tell you what you should have done. Uh, and so, uh, Thanks, so if anyone Dad. has an idea, they're like, this seems crazy. I can, I've probably done it, and I'd probably tell you how it's going to go. <laughs> Fantastic. Derek Grant, thank you so much for, uh, this was a blast. And thank you so much thank for you. the energy, the quiet, um, and the insight. And we look forward to having you back in season five. Outstanding. Thank you very much. And have a wonderful day. Everyone be safe out there. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time.